Hello and welcome to the Remembering Wildlife podcast series in partnership with This Wildlife. I'm your host, Amy Turner, and throughout this series, we will be talking with conservation organisations that have been supported by the funds raised by the groundbreaking Remembering Wildlife book series, founded by Margot Raggett. To date, the series has distributed more than 1.4 million US dollars to 68 different conservation projects in 31 countries across Africa, Asia, North and South America, and also into Europe. Now, the Remembering Rhinos book was the second book published as part of the Remembering series and showcases a species that continues to face the relentless and barbaric onslaught of poaching that has decimated rhino populations. In fact, Remembering Wildlife's founder, Margot, in the first episode of this series, talks about meeting Sudan, the last male northern white rhino on the planet at Alpegeta Conservancy in Kenya. And Margot talks about how this encounter was a key catalyst to the creation of the Remembering Rhinos book. And excitingly, we will be talking with Samuel Maticia from Alpegeta Conservancy today, as well as the renowned and highly respected wildlife vet and conservationist, Dr. William Folds. And I really can't wait to get into it. So moving on to our first guest today, Dr. Will Folds, who knows the horror of rhino poaching more than most, having performed pioneering work as a wildlife vet on rhinos and who is also the founder of the African Rhino Conservation Collaboration that aims to coordinate effective action against rhino poaching. Will's relentless drive to conserve rhinos is well known and an interesting fact is that his family's fifth generation farm was converted alongside neighbouring farms into what is now known as the Amakala Game Reserve in the Eastern Cape of South Africa and and that is in fact a story in itself to be honest but well what a fantastic opportunity it is to spend some time with you today and I'm very much looking forward to exploring the different aspects of your work specifically the African Rhino Conservation Collaboration but before we go into that would you mind giving us an insight into what the past day or so has entailed for you? Yeah, firstly, Amy, thank you so much for uh, having me on your show, and uh, thanks for all the support that the Remembering series has given us on this side, specifically rhinos, but for all the other species too in Africa that have benefited from us, uh, we appreciate it very much. I think um, myself, like many other uh, conservationists on the ground, we have to wear multiple hats. So my bread and butter job is uh, I work as a wildlife vet. So first and foremost, um, I have to prioritize being called out to wildlife work on the ground, which is a good thing for me because it keeps my feet uh, firmly centered and uh, it keeps my mind uh, in direct contact with the coalface. And so the last 24 hours, I think I can um, list probably four or five species that I've worked with. Um, notably, yesterday morning, we were doing um, procedures on white rhino. We actually were looking for black rhino, but we couldn't find those specific animals. So we, we turned to the, the second animals on the list, and that was a pair of uh, white rhino, mother and calf, uh, fitting a new uh, series of technology to them, uh, tracking devices, which I believe will be a game changer in the future. So, so that was uh, the exciting part of my day. 
the rest of my life uh, revolves around coordinating rhino projects uh, and, and now habitat expansion and corridor related projects. So sadly, I go from uh, the exciting life of darting and flying in helicopters and working with some inspirational people on the ground to the office uh, where uh, I do Zoom calls, I do emails, I have meetings and, and I try and garnish as much awareness and support for uh, a multiple array of projects on the ground. So that's been my 24 hours. Now, if we turn to talk about the African Rhino Conservation Collaboration, could you talk us through your mission and how does this model differ to other models in conservation? Yeah, so the African Rhino Conservation Collaboration is fundamentally an effort to promote collaboration amongst the various stakeholders um, involved in rhino conservation, but as we all know, the conservation of one species is interlinked with many others, um, as is the socioeconomic aspect of, of humans. Um, and so this collaboration really massages the conversation, the funding, the multi-pronged uh, efforts on the ground and I think what sets us apart is that we acknowledged very early on that the effort to save a species like rhino um, needs to be multifaceted. Um, so we didn't just focus on protection and security, uh, community, um, wildlife management, law enforcement efforts, uh, demand reduction, uh, the breeding and 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 looking at the, the natural mortalities of animals is just as important as looking as the, at the sort of human related mortalities because ultimately if if this if their numbers are not increasing whether it be through poaching or any other reason we're going to lose them so the collaborative efforts and and you know ironically when I speak in public, um, I'm probably the person that, that makes the least impact on the ground. Um, a lot of the people that, that, that work the hardest and um, are making the biggest difference are not the ones that, that you will see out there in the public domain. Um, they grind away day and night and, and for various reasons, either because they can't be a public figure or just because they shower away from the microphone or the camera. Um, I, I, I stand here representing them, I think, because they are the ones that really make the difference. And, and this collaboration is really about ensuring that they get the support and they get the acknowledgement. And uh, through that, I think we have made a difference. And if we cut to the chase then, based on current figures, it looks like rhino poaching has increased significantly in areas such as the Eastern Cape in South Africa. Could you talk to us about the current situation on the ground in the Eastern Cape? Yeah, I mean, being a, a highly complex issue, uh, if any link in the chain isn't working properly, then the whole system gets let down. Um, I think in our case in the Eastern Cape, uh, we had phenomenal success, which I'll allude to a little bit later. Um, and then this year, we've had the... The, the highest rate of poaching over the first four months of 2023 uh, that we've ever had. Um, and the primary reason for that is is that our colleagues in the uh, the law enforcement or specifically the, the jail side of the, the chain um, let out a gang of poachers, numbering five, and they went on the rampage and caused absolute carnage in our area. 
what we have to realize is that every time we arrest uh, suspected poaching um, syndicates and every time we take a poacher through a court proceeding, we teach them all their mistakes. We literally sit there in the court as expert witnesses. We tell them what they've done wrong. Uh, they go into prison. They then share that information with other convicted poachers. Um, and if you let those guys out, they are incredibly dangerous because they have all this knowledge and experience and they know what our strengths and our weaknesses are. Um, and they were able to exploit that because uh, they broke out of jail. So it took us uh, four and a half months to get them back in again. Uh, and since then, we haven't lost a single animal. But um, that, that was a, a big wake-up call for us. And in addition to the devastating effects of poaching, what are the other areas of threat to rhino? And what do you think the key focus areas will be on the conservation of the species over the next decade and beyond? Yeah, I think uh, the demise of most of our biodiversity has been primarily linked to habitat loss. Uh, and that is an anthropogenic issue, too many humans um, not fully aware of the value of our ecosystems and biodiversity around us, behaving badly, if I can be polite. Um, but we've now got to sort of the stage where the, the mass of um, humans, or who are, I would say, the worst of our breed, um, are starting to collaborate themselves. And, and we sort of group that loosely under organized crime. Uh, so in my mind, the biggest challenge over the next five to ten years is going to be fighting the implications of organized crime. Um, and unfortunately, wildlife products, uh, rhino horn is one, pangolin scales, abalone, uh, succulent plants, there are many, many of them. Uh, these products have now passed through organized crime uh, syndicates and through organized criminal hands. And every time this happens, it strengthens those syndicates. It gives them more power and finance to grow their corrupt um, systems. Uh, and that crime spreads laterally into other areas. It goes into politics. It goes into other criminal-related activities and contraband. It uh, turns communities from law-abiding law citizens into, into uh, law-breaking citizens. Uh, and that undermines the, the economic and, and social fabric of our societies here. Um, and we're seeing that horror story emerging sort of around the Kruger Park area, where that was primarily fueled by, by rhino horn, but that is now uh, spread laterally into many other crime uh, crimes. Uh, we, we are acutely aware in the southern part of South Africa how much abalone, which is a a marine shellfish is now uh, contributing to drugs on the street and, and other forms of crime uh, in our communities. So uh, drugs on the street and other forms of crime in our communities. So uh, these are issues that I think um, are critical to get on top of. Uh, they are linked to very powerful networks around the world. Um, and it's not just the lowly rhino that uh, is involved here. But uh, they, what we can do for one species, we can obviously do for many others. And, and so we are tackling it, starting with rhino and, and branching out from there.
So if we look at the African Rhino Conservation Collaboration in a little bit more detail and Remembering Wildlife is so pleased to be able to support your work from the donations from the Remembering Rhinos book. Could you talk to us about your strategy to secure a rhino stronghold in the Eastern Cape? Perhaps you could talk to us about the specific initiatives that you're doing and what does that look like on the ground as an operation? Yeah, so first of all, just to make uh, listeners aware of where the Eastern Cape is, we're essentially the bottom right-hand corner of the African continent. and geographically, that puts us in an important place for two reasons. One is the, the wave of specifically rhino-related crime uh, has swept south through Africa over decades and decades. Got to South Africa just over 10 years ago. Um, and this, this wave has been sweeping south. Um, to date, we have never lost a rhino in the Eastern Cape that was killed by an Eastern Caper. Uh, these are all people that have taken the skill set that they've learnt in countries to the north of us, uh, grown them in other parts to the north of us, inside of South Africa, and, and are now um, migrating south uh, and looking for um, rhino populations to sink their teeth into. So, so we've had the benefit, I suppose, of, of learning from what has happened to the north of us. We've also had the benefit of specific, specific information that's come from other parts of South Africa where, where incredibly passionate and dedicated people have have learned and shared that knowledge uh, and are still doing that. Um, the other aspect of the Eastern Cape, which is critical, is that we are uh, an extremely biodiverse province and uh, that, amongst other things, lends itself um, specifically to the conservation of black rhino. Uh, and black rhino are... the the more critically endangered uh, of the rhino species and we have uh, incredibly suitable habitat down here to not only uh, allow them to thrive but also it's inherently protective for them and and very difficult to poach them. So that that gives us an advantage. Um, Heaven forbid uh, that we become sort of the last stronghold but I think we are certainly preparing ourselves for the worst in the hope that that whatever can be achieved down here will ensure that that we never go backwards in terms of numbers and we keep growing them. And clearly this is an extremely challenging task and you're up against it every single day and in multiple different ways. What has been the biggest challenge for you or the African Rhino Conservation Collaboration over the past couple of years? Yeah, I think as with many of us, um, COVID had a devastating effect on funding um, through the lack of tourism. And I I don't know that everyone appreciates just how valuable tourism is to the the funding of the conservation of a species like rhino. As much as, as you might think, you know, millions of dollars gets poured into the philanthropic side of rhino conservation, um, the heavy lifting is done by funding that comes directly from tourism. So when uh, an epidemic or pandemic like like COVID came along, it had a devastating impact on our funding um, channels. And through that, a lot of our our sort of primary frontline conservation efforts um, were completely depleted um, and we are now in a rebuilding phase. So, um, you know, it set us back dramatically. Uh, Tourism still hasn't recovered. Um, but we're hoping that it will get there. 
and I think what the pandemic has made us realize is that the funding of conservation uh, in Africa is not sustainable yet because it's too dependent on international travel. So one of the biggest challenges I think we all have uh, while we try and keep these animals alive is how do we create other income streams related to conservation? Um, and that's going to inquire some, require some incredibly innovative uh, adjustments and, uh, and thinking um, that obviously can't be related to international travel. So I think it's got to be linked to um, the sort of the bigger issues of our time, which is how do we save a planet which is already 70% in the negative as far as biodiversity loss is concerned. So hopefully the, the world will acknowledge the value of, of the conservatives of biodiversity and find ways to bring new revenue streams in. Um, some of the hope that I see out there are, are things like you know funding for carbon and funding for ecosystem services. Uh, those are essentially bedded in the restoration of ecosystems uh, to their functional state. And, and that is a good thing for humans and wildlife. So, yeah, we, we're pushing to find innovative strategies to, to bring a, a more resilient funding blend uh, into the system. But simultaneously, we, we've got to keep the wolf from the door and, and keep these numbers growing. Absolutely. And looking at this from a slightly different perspective, what has been the biggest success or event that you are most proud of in your career in relation to the African Rhino Conservation Collaboration? Well, just once again to stress that uh, we are collaboration in the Eastern Cape. Uh, this is definitely not about me. Um, there are hundreds and hundreds of incredibly dedicated people. Um, some of them are anti-poaching, anti some of them are intelligence gatherers, some of them are just wildlife managers, guides, um, I would even include guests in that process because many of them go well beyond just being safari goers. Um, our partners in uh, conservation NGOs, remembering uh, being one of them. So thanks, Margot, for everything that you've done uh, for us. Um, and that collaboration, you know, at some stage you've got to measure, is it making a difference or not? Um, and I think the, the most startling success that we've had can only be measured in, you know, did we lose any rhino? So we had a period from uh, 2020 into 2021 and 2022, a 36-month run where the, the province did not lose a single rhino. Um, and that was only broken by the, the escape of those um, rhino poachers that, that I alluded to earlier. So phenomenal success on the ground, I think, speaks volumes. But that cannot be achieved without the collaboration. So, yeah, uh, very proud of that. We also appreciate that that you can you can never rest. You know, the, the issues are, are alive and well all around us, and we've got to just keep on trying to stay ahead of the curve. And this moves me on to a very important topic that has been on the news this week, and that is that African Parks plans to rewild 2,000 southern white rhinos after buying the world's largest private captive rhino breeding operation in South Africa. Clearly, these rhino represent a significant proportion of the population, and it's a mammoth task to house and translocate such a sheer number. From someone so embedded in rhino conservation, 
from multiple different perspectives. What is your take on this? And can you give us an insight into just how big a challenge this is? Mm. Yeah, I mean, there are multiple aspects to the um, purchase now or the, the the responsibility of looking after these two rhino by Africa parks. Um, I'll just focus on, I think, what happens now, um, and that is that they have to, first of all, keep those rhino and their offspring alive and, and as well managed as possible. And, and that in itself is a massive undertaking. Um, the, the monthly bill just to keep that operation going um, is incredibly high. Um, and they're adding more than 100 calves per year to that system. So that bill just grows um, with every month that goes by. So that's uh, problem number one, and that's purely going to be a funding issue. Problem number two uh, is that Africa Parks now have to find suitable habitat and protected habitat for those animals. Um, and unfortunately, the equation for being a custodian of a rhino at the moment is not good. Um, if you own rhino, it's going to cost you money. Um, it's also going to cost you an incredible amount of um, vested interest, and I'm talking about emotional interest. And none of us that that own or feel that we are responsible for rhino uh, sleep well at night. Uh, we are anxious all the time about their safety, uh, and many people are anxious about their own safety. So that is a huge undertaking. Uh, I think it's incredibly brave of Africa Parks to have taken on this responsibility. Um, as we know, the initial um, attempt to auction off this project was unsuccessful, so someone had to put up their hand. Um, Africa Parks have some incredible projects and, and conservation areas throughout Africa that they already manage. I think from a habitat point of view, they are well-equipped and, and have an excellent reputation for that. Uh, whether they can now muster the support from the international community and governments to actually fund the relocation processes and their ongoing protection, I think remains to be seen. But, yeah, it, it, it would be good of all of us to, to get behind um, their work and, and to try and support them as much as we can. For us in the Eastern Cape, it literally means putting up a hand and saying, you know, we will take X amount of rhino. And I think that's what we are looking at now in anticipation of that possibility. Um, obviously, you know, many uh, hoops still have to be, to, to go through, but, um, sorry, obviously many hoops still have to be jumped through in order to for that to happen. But we do think that uh, with our, uh, our habitat, with our, protection and security record uh, and with the vision that we have now to create more space corridors and landscapes i think uh, we stand in a good place to be able to partner with uh, with an organization like them and, and help rewild uh, which is essentially what the last three decades of the eastern cape has been all about what an incredible undertaking that is. And the release of such a significant population number into the world is an awe-inspiring operation and one that I'm sure many of our listeners will follow quite closely. Now, the decimation of rhino populations and the brutality of rhino poaching is relentless and something, sadly, you are so familiar with. Despite the relentless challenges that you face, what gives you a sense of hope for the future and what keeps driving you forwards day in day out 
Yeah, I think uh, for those of us that do work on the front line, um, and, I, and I must just uh, say here that my involvement with the brutality of, of poaching obviously started on dead rhino around about 2008, but, but the living aspect of, of rhino survivors began for me in 2011. Um, recently, though, because of the success we've had in the Eastern Cape, I have not been uh, as brutally involved um, with rhino survivors as, as have people like Dr. Jan Marais, um and his work, because we simply just have not had the injured rhino that we used to have. Um, and, and, and so that is a good thing. Um, but it has given us the space to look at, at our strategic success um, and strategic potential, which for us is about expanding habitat um, and restoring functional ecosystems, basically preparing a way for rhino to be secure with all the other species that uh, form part of, of functional ecosystems. Um, so, yeah, that what, what keeps me going is being able to spend time in the presence of these animals the way they should be, which is out there in the wild, um, with their circumstances improving day upon day and, and year upon year. Um, that's the fuel that, that we all need, I think. Um, and uh, I've seen many colleagues, particularly to the north of us, uh, and I must mention Dr. Dave Cooper, um, just one of them, uh, a wildlife vet who's, who's recently retired from uh, Isambelo and, and KwaZulu-Natal, you know, the, the harrowing experiences of doing postmortems every single week, multiple times a week, um, really has a, an enormous impact psychologically on people. Um, fortunately, my own circumstances have been better because we have uh, had the success of, of being able to cut the snake's head off a little bit higher up its body. And, and through that, we just haven't had that volume of brutality down in the Eastern Cape that, that many other people are still struggling with in other parts of the country. Well, what an incredible half an hour it's been. It's a true, true honour to be able to talk with someone who's so embedded in rhino conservation. And it's been fantastic to hear about the mission and initiatives of the African Rhino Conservation Collaboration. On behalf of our listeners and Remembering Wildlife, we wish you all the best for your work and thanks again for your time. Thanks, Amy, and thank you to you and your team, Margot, and and the rest of the Remembering Wildlife uh, team and, and this opportunity to to share what uh, what we all cherish so much on this planet, you know, our wildlife, our, our natural heritage. It is the foundation that we all need to live long and happy lives on, and hopefully we will remember that uh, and become more effective at, at doing a better job. Thanks. So now let's move across to East Africa, specifically to Old Pegeta Conservancy in Kenya, where we're going to be talking with Samuel Maticia, the Head of Research and Species Conservation. Old Pegeta Conservancy is renowned for its rhino conservation work, whether that's its research, its world-leading work on advanced assisted reproduction technologies that aim to save the northern white rhino from extinction and Olpegeta amongst other things also have a unbelievably effective anti-poaching operation and some of the funds from Remembering Wildlife has been able to support that as well. So Samuel 
it's an absolute privilege to have you with us, calling straight from Olpegeta. For our listeners who may not know, what is the current population of rhino in Kenya and on Olpegeta Conservancy itself? The, the current rhino population in this country, um, with data released by Kenya Wildlife Service uh, end of uh, last year, was 966 black rhinos and 922 white rhinos. You know, Kenya has both populations. Um, and I think that is a tremendous effort, given that uh, it was about three decades ago, we had less than 400 individuals known to exist in this country. So conservation efforts have been uh, paying off. And Samuel, why is Olpegeta's rhino population so significant? As I mentioned, um, the the rhino that we conserve here on Olpegeta is predominantly the black rhino, um, which is the eastern uh, subspecies. And this subspecies is endemic or mainly found in Kenya and some parts of East Africa. But Kenya has the largest population. So 80% of this particular subspecies is found in Kenya. Um, and whereas that is the case, Opegeta has the single largest breeding population in this country. Um, so it is the population we have here contributes to a bigger proportion of these species in the country. It is significant in that, in that, in that sense, um, in the sense that it's responsible. It's one of the key populations uh, in this country that contribute to the target 2,000 rhinos that we're supposed to have in this country um, in the next um, couple of years or in the long term. Fantastic. And the majority of people listening will understand the devastation that poaching has had on rhino populations globally. And Remembering Wildlife is clearly proud to be able to support some of Olpegeta's work on the ground, specifically with regards to the anti-poaching operation that you have. What do you do to keep your rhino safe at Olpegeta? In order to keep our rhinos safe, uh, we, we, we have an elaborate monitoring program, uh, first and foremost, that ensures we know each and every individual uh, in the conservancy and that we keep very close intersighting interval. Um, so we make sure in the conservancy that every rhino is seen within a span of four days. In essence, at any given time, you know, in any given week, we should have seen all the rhinos that there are in the conservancy. So that uh, high rate of reciting is essential in ensuring that we determine the health, we determine the well-being, and we determine that these rhinos are okay. Um, and on top of that, it means that we roll, we, we have a, an anti-poaching unit or a unit uh, that provisions security to this particular population both day and night. Um, so it's essential that we, we are able to see every animal, we keep a record of that, but at the same time also we deploy our teams uh, that undertake general security surveillance uh, in the appropriate places you know, guided by intelligence um, and, and teams that are able to respond adequately in case of any poaching threat. So clearly your operations are vast with boots on the ground across the landscape, around the clock, including canine units. What is required in terms of resources to keep the patrols going? Yeah, just, just to provide context, Opegeta is a, is a 90,000 acre property. Um, that is a relatively big area 
Um, so it's manned by a team of 23 patrol units during the day. And these units are spread across that landscape. Now for them to do their work effectively, obviously at the back of it, they must be well trained. Uh, they must be provisioned with equipment that will allow them to, to be able to assess these rhinos without necessarily getting themselves into any danger. Uh, so first and foremost, um, a ranger would always be uniformed, you know, must have a proper attire, well camouflaged uh, boots, trousers, jackets. They would have within them, uh, with them a, a backpack that may have a raincoat. Um, they will have GPS. Uh, they will always have um, radio handsets. They will have GPSs. Uh, they may have a gun or not. Um, they will, so in principle, yeah, they do have all that equipment, uh, but then also in terms of mobility, uh, there are times where you need to move them from one location to the next. So uh, they are likely, um, they, they will always have a car deployed and at their disposal for that movement. Um, at supervisory level, you will have a ranger that has a motorbike, um, in order to be able to reach as many teams because they are widely distributed across the conservancy, uh, be able to understand whether they need any any assistance or um, any, any equipment needs to be replaced, which means they have to pick this equipment and deliver it to the workshops for repairs. But in, in the general terms, a ranger will have all these uh, uniform equipment, uh, monitoring equipment, and at the same time supplied with rations uh, which they cook at um, at their camps. And so, yeah, it can be an expensive affair uh, where uh, you're running quite a number of um, field stations from a central point. And clearly you have an incredibly effective operation going on, but it isn't without tremendous challenge. Sammy, what is one of the biggest challenges that the old Pegeta team face when protecting the rhinos? Yeah, so in terms of protecting rhinos, um, you'll find that, and, and, and perhaps the team that I talked about that operates during the day is, is somewhat different, you know, from the team that you deploy at night. Because at night, you know, they will have specialized equipment, thermal images, they will have, um, um, you know, gadgets that rely mainly on infrared to be able to effectively see in the dark. Um, and these these sort of equipment are not cheap. They they come at a cost, and some of them are even regulated. So you have to work really close with the government to be able to access them because they are classified as military grade equipment. Um, and so the environment within which these teams operate again uh, relies on the ability to roll out intelligence uh, networks that are well coordinated among other sanctuaries and also with the government. Um, and, and because you're talking about a very wide area, it means that deploying some of these uh, resources in time and space can be a huge, a huge challenge. Uh, being able to adequately uh, provision, you know, rations, response in case of... Um, uh, cross exchange or, or crossfire um, is is sometimes an issue. You know your ability to deploy air cover um, as and when needed 
um, is also is also a challenge. And I think, by and large, um, it's it's not an easy and and and, and a cheap sort of business uh, to run for you to effectively deploy all these resources in the field uh, within the time uh, limits uh, for you to effectively say that you're covering or protecting the rhinos. And to close this episode, Olpegeta is a truly remarkable place in many ways. Is there a proudest memory that you could share that the Olpegeta team have? There must be quite a few in that list. Um, I think for Olpegeta, First and foremost, of course, it's 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 known for the conservation efforts. You know, holding the single largest uh, population of um, black rhinos in this part of the world is a big achievement. Um, you know, when we received the four northern white rhinos that um, um, are currently, you know, that we are currently working towards getting to breed the four northern white rhinos now too. Uh, was a proud moment when we were selected in a competitive environment as to where these animals would be taken to from Europe. Um, and, and more to that, you know, there are other proud moments. This is the sixth year without any poaching, successful poaching incident. Of course, there has been attempts, but we haven't had any incidents that, you know, has resulted to poaching. And so I think that that to me is a proud thing. Um, given the level of threat that these rhinos continue to face. Um, you know, the fact that last year we received the highest ever births since the establishment of the Conservancy, you know, where we had 27 rhinos born, I think that was a, uh, is, is a powerful, powerful thing. Um, it means that Opegeta is in a position to establish a new or contribute rhinos that can help establish a new rhino sanctuary every three years. I think to me, that's a huge, huge achievement. Um, yeah, so we we, 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 are, we are really, really blessed to be in this part of the world and to be doing what we are doing. So Samuel, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you about Olpegeta, your incredibly effective and passionate ranger team that protects such an important population of rhino, including the last two remaining northern white rhino on the planet. Thank you so much and all the best to the entire Olpegeta team moving forwards. Thank you. And thank you everybody for taking time to listen to this podcast. You've been listening to the Remembering Wildlife podcast series in partnership with This Wildlife. If you'd like to get your hands on any of the stunning Remembering Wildlife books, please head to rememberingwildlife.com. We are This Wildlife podcast and we're here to bring the wild to you.